Did you learn anything while listening to this season of Super Pulp Science? If not, that's fine. Gregory and Justin still have art books that are coming out during their break. Uh, the first one is Chasing Artwork, Volume 3, where you can learn how that guy does his thing. The second one is Gregory's inaugural Volume 1 art book called Join the Fight, Make Comics. Wonder where that came from. It'll be edited by Sam Biko, who is in the background crying at her workload. Have a nice summer. We'll see you in the fall. I think the biggest question, though, is will Gregory survive the summer with Sam? <laughs> Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. This is a very special episode, because it is our last episode of the season. I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, and our newly suffering intern, Madeline Sweetland. Hello, Madeline. Hello. Justin did not make any noise, so people aren't <laughs> sure if he's here or not. He's observing. He remains silent just to mess with me. Uh, we've come a long way, Justin. How many episodes is this? Like 40? 39. 39 or wow. 40 episodes of the podcast. Remember when I asked you first to do this? I didn't. Yeah, I thought this was just a harebrained scheme because you come up with them often. Yeah. I'm, I'm well, shocked at how well this one worked. It remains a harebrained scheme. It does. Oh, God. That's for dramatic effect. Drop my book. Could you hear that, Dan? All the plans are out the window now. They're all out the window. So Madeline's going to run the podcast. We didn't tell her. Oh, no. That's what interns do. They're in charge of everything. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell our dear listener where you came from? Well, I was <laughs> Not born. like metaphysically, but like, well, maybe. Um, I came out of my mother's womb on October the 12th, 1992. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically... I've just been like the weird arty child my whole life. Both my brothers work in computers and I was the one diddling around, ran off to Disney World, ran around Canada and some of Europe and Mexico. Then I came back here, decided I want to do art for realsies and um, landed myself a little internship to learn from the greats. Uh-oh. Where? Wow, that was a great, that's a way better, how come she hasn't been running the podcast, Dan? That's my question. No, I guess you can't answer, you don't have a microphone. Um, So, dear listener, we uh, had this great idea, we thought, to bring you in to our studio uh, once a week and tell you about the stuff we've done along the way. We tried to bring in some guests, we tried to bring in some perspective, and we have come to the end of season one. What was the initial reason? Why did you want to do this? Like, what was that driving force for I want a podcast because? Um, Well, a couple of things. The main one was that I used to uh, blog all the time, and I missed it. Did you have a blogger? I was a blogger. Yeah, I had a blogger. I I guess I technically still have a blogger account. All that content remains Their Google Analytics or whatever, their, like, searchability is really good. Like, my blogger still pops up on searches, and I haven't touched that thing in... A decade. That must be because Google owns it, so yeah. it prioritizes it, right? Pay to play, as it were. So I used to do that a lot, share a lot of process as I was sort of starting out, um, as I was figuring out like what this grand adventure of writing things and drawing them full-time would be. Um, and then as I started writing and drawing full-time, 
I had a lot less time for blogging. Um, but as you know, I never shut up. So I thought maybe we could do a podcast. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. Well, and also, um, if I'm being completely honest, uh, Sam and Claire's podcast, Business BFFs, I heard that and I thought, wow, they're sharing a lot of stuff um, that is super useful to me. And I think there's some things that we could do that we could share that are semi-useful. Starting out every once in a while, while I would try to use podcasts as a resource, like I'd try to find people talking about going to Comic-Cons or making graphic novels, and I found it was it was all a lot of fluff, like nobody was really talking about like how the sausage gets made. So I was really glad when this idea came up and we started doing this, because we, we talked about all the things that I wish I found when I was starting. Right. So really, that's you, Madeline. You're Justin when he was starting. So what are some things that we should cover in season two? Um, I will say I have listened to the podcast. I do find it really relatable in a way. I listen to a lot of different podcasts and this one is like, it's the first I've come across where it's like talking about the things I want to do. Like Justin said, how the sausage gets made kind of thing. I think getting more into the nitty gritty. Apologies to the vegan listeners. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's always like, I just find myself listening and I'm doing other stuff and it's all stuff that's kind of relatable to me, stuff that I'm thinking about and I never really hear spoken aloud. Like I said, I don't come from an artsy family, so this is kind of like my only resource except for school. So it's nice. I think just get deeper and darker into the inner workings. Do you think like more specific, like there is a a, uh, a balance between the minutiae. You know, like mm. you can sometimes go too specific into the details of um, a task. Have we not gone deep enough? Is that what you're saying? I think you could bear to go deeper. But I mean, don't get rid of like anecdotes or anything. Right. Because embarrassing Just stories about Justin. Mm-hmm. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. So as somebody starting out in, in Artland, mm-hmm. um, what kind of advice are you getting from the loved ones around you no discouragement to for the art not anymore i did i will say i received discouragement so you said we should go darker so let's go (laughs) deeper and darker what kind of discouragement did you yeah what kind of discouragement did you receive um i was guided more towards more quote-unquote practical occupations um law was something that was suggested to me growing up um and I tried out architecture. That was mainly to please my parents. Wow, so um, it's kind of like drawing, but with exactly. a lot of math. I also yeah. tried I out it. architecture mainly to please my parents. Me too. When I was rough. Drafting. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Really? Did you do it at the U of M? Uh, I did, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mostly, and when I say tried out, like I visited the architecture <laughs> thing. I talked to a bunch of architects. I look at what the job really would entail. Tried to do some of it like for fun. Mm. I'm hanging air quotes around fun, like to see if I could find myself doing that job. Um, to realize quite quickly how much um, sort of specific math related. Yes, very finicky, very precise. Yeah. Now, I'm, I like math, but the precision elements of drawing were to me not part of my artistic um, expression. Yes, I would agree with that. I so why? We have this all in co- All of us? Well, Our because, will- yeah, you can't be an artist for a career, Gregory. So... An architect is drawing 
but like it's a more legit form of drawing. That's why I took graph design, right? Because I mm-hmm. couldn't just illustrate, but graph design was like illustrating, but I could still get a job with it. It opens doors. Yeah. Why do our parents, why do you think your uh, loved ones, oh, why do they do this to us? Why is it a one-to-one? Like if you're using a pencil, that must be being an artist. Is that, that's not, it's more than that. Well, there is some creativity that goes into architecture, for sure. Oh, tons. Mm-hmm. So I think, at least for my parents, it was, well, you're creative. You like to create things. You should create buildings because we live in buildings and we can relate to that. And that's applicable to us, whereas they're not exactly art collectors or avid even like film goers or anything like that. And, ar- you know, architecture, I know my... Uh my dad and uh, my mother both were big fans of Frank Lloyd Wright, so we visited Taliesin West, and when we were doing an addition on the house in their later years, they brought out a Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture architect um, to do some of that design. So, like, I sat with and watched the process of architecture as it connects to an individual, like building a house as an art form, and I was fascinated by that, but... In watching that process, I was convinced that I had made the right choice, that I did not have what it would take to do that type of work. So my hat's off to architects. But My favorite architect story, I think it happened at the U of M. They built a new library, and they didn't take into account the weight of books. So when they put all the books in, the building started to sink. And they had to basically condemn the building or re- in- reinforce it. But yeah. I'm going to Google this. I'm going to find out. When this happened, that's, ama- that's an amazing story. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is basically that uh, the framework that our parents set up for us can't bear the weight of what we really want to do. That's oh, exactly shit. what I was going for, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm deep. You I'm are. You're deep. Well, <laughs> Madeline said that we should go deeper. It's so dark. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? I'm uh, a little bit interested in the process by which, I mean, we had about 25 applicants and we interviewed 10 mm-hmm. and Nine. now here you say one didn't show up oh yeah one didn't we had a no show no show yeah yeah and not even a follow-up right sam she just never showed up never replied back just now gone. my initial instinct with a no show like that <laughs> is to give them the job and find them and just say that <laughs> that was the test <laughs> you right? passed are you worried right? that she found out something embarrassing about you guys and decided she couldn't do it oh i oh, hope maybe not. Mm-hmm. probably something about sam yeah yeah. Or or we did that podcast where we talked about what we wanted from our intern. <laughs> Maybe this uh particular person listened to that and then came to their senses. Um but how did you say to yourself what I really It takes a certain kind of person I think to pick this kind of position for themselves. I think well you guys did a guest lecture at Red River College. I was in the lecture. I was already familiar with your work, having worked at chapters and stuff. We sell Cassie and Tonk, we sell Rest and Water there. Um, I have friends in the art community who had told me about you guys' work, so I was familiar. I was, so I was excited to see you guys at the lecture. I enjoyed your lecture a lot. I think that the way that you approach your work and your philosophies about creative work is really similar to mine, so I related. And then at the end of the lecture, you said you were looking for an intern, I was like, Perfect. Applied. So there is an expression, um, which I'm stealing now, not from wise library time, but from (laughs) comics, 
Um, I was a big fan of Lone Wolf and Cub when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And there is a issue of Lone Wolf and Cub where they're quoting, uh, there's a quote taken from an Eastern philosopher that says, uh, meet the Buddha, kill the Buddha. Mm. But the idea is that you should never meet somebody that you admire or somebody that you think has something figured out because they will always disappoint you. And then when you're <laughs> faced with that person, <laughs> you should immediately right shatter that expectation mm. so now that you've been around a little bit um hopefully you've crushing realized disappointment. yeah you have some crushing disappointment <laughs> that we're just a couple of jokers held together by uh bailing wire and samantha pico <laughs> um <laughs> yeah um do you have some questions of us that we can you can ask us for the first time some candid questions oh, here yeah. for the podcast um oh dear Dear listener, in full disclosure, it's two weeks now you've been here. Now that you've been working behind the counter, seeing how the sausage gets made. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I guess. uh, Where does it, how do I phrase? I like, you guys are here every day, working days. I guess just like, how does it fit into your life? How do you balance working and your regular life? And poorly sometimes <laughs> oh that's a good question though um i'll counter that question by asking like you have other jobs you i have, do you have other jobs how do you balance your other jobs with your everyday life well i've been i've been delving more into working artistically i've been doing pet portraits and things for people and i have been kind of struggling with it because now that i'm doing creative work i sort of feel as though Anytime I'm at home, I should be working. I should always be working on something. And then I have a hard time negotiating. Even in school, it was like that as well. I felt like I always had to be working on a project. Um, Are you worried that the hobby is going to become work? Like that it was like a a way to relieve stress and it was fun, but now it's turning into a job? Yeah. Yeah. That kind of sense of obligation, like I need to be working right now. If I'm doing something else, I need to also be working. I'm always kind of of two minds all the time. How do you kind of negotiate that? Well, you go ahead. I I struggle with that a lot, too. Every once in a while, I get scared that, like, yeah, that I might not be having as much fun. I'm doing it because it's it's work. Um, I observe... (laughs) For you, though, that you take time, you and Catherine take time to go on trips, to spend time together. You know, you adverted your sleep schedule so you could meet her in Paris. Like, <laughs> you're not, um, uh, I think, exhibiting negative um, indicators. Although I think um, there was a little more, there's, it works out really well right now because she's in school too. She's going for law, so she has an insane schedule. So, it's great right now, but when she had a nine to five job and I was doing what I was doing, there was a little more strain here and there because I like to work late or weird hours and she had a set schedule. Mm. Well, when we um, first started sharing a studio together, you said, you know, what I, what you hoped would rub off on you was a s- semi nine to five schedule. Which it has. Yeah. I'm right. a, definitely on a more regular schedule than, than when I was on my own, just kind of doing my own thing. Yeah. Out of curiosity, did you work while you were in Paris? Or was it pure vacation? I did. I worked, <laughs> I did, um, I did a lot of watercolors mm. um, that were going, that are going to be like scanned into my new art book. 
And I did, uh, I wrote little articles that are also going into my art book. Okay. Although I find there's a third, there's a certain threshold on like any vacation around like six, seven days where I just get like antsy to like <laughs> get to a computer and like work, work. Like I can't relax after that point. And I've been yelled at for that. <laughs> Do you, you have a similar thing from time to time? I yeah? definitely get twitchy if I'm not making stuff, but I can make stuff for no reason too. Mm -hmm. Like I really find if I'm getting super antsy or really overwhelmed with a bunch of, um, deadline specific artwork or you know client related or even if it's you know a self-imposed deadline for printing or something that making art for no reason is a huge benefit one of the reasons why we started doing those collaboratories a few years ago where we would just get a whole bunch of artists and people together and we would just literally make stuff for no reason people would mm -hmm. come once a week or once a month and we would get big canvases or big pieces of uh, uh, yeah like illustration board and paint over them paint over the last time's work oh, okay. and then start again and everyone collabing on these big pieces to help manage that um, expectation that you should always be working for some specific goal, which is, you know, not true. Yeah. Right. Do you ever find that when you have like a looming deadline or something, you're more, you have all these ideas for things you just want to do for oh, fun? Absolutely. Oh, constantly. <laughs> yeah. That's when the best ideas show up is yeah. when you shouldn't be working on anything. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I think those ideas are fighting to live, right? They're, they're, it's like um, creative Darwinism in your head. There's no room for them, so they're really pushing hard to be heard and survive. And I've you actually sat myself down. down when I've had too much time and I can't think of anything to work on. I'm like, I should take on some client work to be annoyed with so I can come <laughs> up with those ideas that I need. Yeah, it's interesting. But, I mean, I can tell you I'm in a different position, so... Justin is, uh, you know, Justin and Catherine have a very different scenario than I do. Tara and I and our two kids, we have um, struggled this year with finding that right balance between travel and work and working too much and not saying no to certain uh, projects because they are um, both fun, interesting, and rewarding, uh, both, you know, personally and fiscally. Um, you have to pile those into your year because it's feast or famine in this job. Um, sometimes you have lots of work and sometimes you don't. So you have to take it when it comes. Um, so you asked for how we did it. I don't think either of us gave a real answer. We just both, we just both <laughs> agreed that it's hard. That's fair enough. But I think managing, what are some managing, some managing strategies for me are uh, to always view my children's interruptions uh, as a benefit. So one of the reasons why I like bringing the kids to the studio, even when I have a tight deadline like I did yesterday, is when they say, hey, dad, I just try to turn off and give them that attention. I don't um, I try not to get annoyed. I try not to be like, oh, I have lots of stuff to do. But instead, I say like, you know, uh, stealing from Stephen King now, right? But um, art is supposed, how does that, oh, he has a great quote about how art is to support life, not the other way around, mm. right? And so you should take the time to lean into your family, to lean into the things that matter. I'm taking five days off of um, technology. I will be uh, at a music festival for five days with the family. We camp, the, like 250 bands over five stages over five days. And that's a good answer to your like, not getting burnt out doing like the one thing like 
even even the thing that I like doing the most, eventually I'll kind of get burnt out of like drawing robots. So I'll kind of switch gears to storyboarding a book or I'll start doing more traditional work. And so you might be getting burnt out pumping out pages for your graphic novels. So taking a five-day break just to do traditional stuff is probably going to recharge those batteries. It will. Right? And if I'm being completely honest, actually the hardest part is not on me. No. It's not. I can work all the time on tons of stuff. I can go, you know, three weeks with very little sleep. It doesn't affect me negatively. It doesn't affect my mood. I'm having a great time. I love this job. That, though, that attitude affects the people around you, mm. right? And I think maybe my piece of advice is to um, listen more to the indicators of the people who are in your life who say to you, Madeline, I want to see you more. I want to spend more time with you. Don't view that as a competition for your time. You know, just view that as part of the grand human experience that will make you a better artist, right? We have to steal from people. If you want to be like really self-serving about it, the more time you spend <laughs> with other people, the more you can steal and put it into your art. Right. Sure. That's good advice. Yeah, beware. And get a studio dog. That's what I'd say. Right, Opal? In the future, your dog will tell you how to survive. Or you will die. So, it's three years from now, Madeline. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Where are you? What are you doing? Um, you know, I don't like to think too far ahead, but I would like to have... A creative job that is steady money, but be doing my own projects on the side, and ideally earning something from that, whether it's money or not, something rewarding coming from that, some kind of recognition, I guess. Do you want to, like, is graph design, do you think, do you want to end up at a design studio after school, or? Ideally, I would yeah. like to be doing more illustration than strictly design. Um, ideally, ideally, I would love to be working in traditional mediums. Mm -hmm. I'm finding the crossover between traditional and digital a little challenging, because I'm very, my style is increasingly as i've learned in school becoming very impressionistic kind of oh yeah really loose and i really love i've been getting really into painting which i was always more of a drawing person but i've been getting really into painting recently and i'm just loving exploring that so much i would love to continue down this road ideally but and there's those <laughs> sudden discoveries that you can make with just a flourish yes. right a physical a physical motion that then translates yes. onto the canvas that digital doesn't quite accomplish. Yeah. Uh, even if you're working on a Cintiq, if you, you know, make some giant sweeping gesture with your whole body, Justin, it doesn't spray uh, stuff all Sometimes. over. Sometimes. Yeah, your right? gadget there is incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like a lot of fun. But it's a different. It was actually, it was payment for my very, I got my very first kid's book in like the last two weeks of third year graph design. Um, Frank, Frank came up to the third floor and was like, I was like the only one around. And he's like, you draw. Do you want a book deal? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do a kid's book? And so like the next week I was sitting you down. Draw? You want a book deal? <laughs> well, there was only like three or four of us that were like were really passionate about illustrating. Most people so were. So you were there after hours. You were working. I was, yeah. I was there after hours as I, uh, yeah, most, most of the time I was. Um, yeah. So I, I met with this Gord Clemenko and we worked on a book over the next couple of years. 
and it was supposed to be, I think, like a 30-page book turned into a 72-page book and, like, took a year more than it was supposed to. Um, and that was part of me learning how this worked and him learning how it worked. Um, but as part of compensation for all the extra effort and work, he got me the Cintiq. It was like the payday at the end of the, <laughs> the book, so it was fantastic. That's and incredible. Yeah. yeah, not bad. Yeah. Um, please don't use... Please don't believe that we will be able to give you a Cintiq <laughs> at the end of this internship. <laughs> that was not an apocryphal story. <laughs> um, so, Justin. Mm-hmm. Actually, so you guys are in the same program. This is what I'm... How much has it changed since then? I don't know. Uh-oh. Hard so to say. First year, we did not touch a computer. We mm-hmm. It was all traditional. Like, we did all our projects with gouache and... Uh, paint and a lot of drawing class and anatomy um we had like history of graph design mm-hmm. um first year I, I struggled like i i didn't do well in first year and for most of second year i didn't do well either like i, mm-hmm. I kind of struggled in the program it wasn't until end of second year and third year i really found my stride and by the end of third year i feel like i was like like top percentile of the class whereas like for the first two years i was like kind of bottom of the barrel i felt okay yeah for yeah for us first semester was largely um all traditional a lot of gouache just stupid gouache uh, yeah no it gouache stupid is good. gouache fluid dynamics is important to learn <laughs> as an artist yeah Justin i shakes his head angrily. i did really enjoy all that i loved the texture assignment which was basically just make a collage of different textures really enjoyed that and i think it was all really valuable second hold semester hold on i'm going to dig down here okay. why did you like that i want to learn about your art practice a little bit I think, I was going to say when I was talking about like Impressionism, whatever, I think last summer there was that Picasso exhibit at the WAG, um, and they, there was a quote by him that he said, I don't, I don't seek, I find, when he's working, and I think that Ooh, really, great. really applies to the way that I work. I kind of approach everything I'm making as an experience in itself, so I enjoyed I enjoy the process of thumbnailing, putting all the ideas on paper and developing from there and kind of seeing what comes of it rather than going in with a game plan and then making sure everything is perfect. So the hands-on projects I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed the cutting and pasting. I enjoyed the painting. I even enjoyed the gouache, even though it was very challenging. Um, And yeah, I think second semester for us was mostly all digital. Except for drawing, and uh, that was challenging for me just because it's so broad. There's so much you can do with those programs, and I find it almost overwhelming. And I want to keep finicking with everything, and I want to try everything. I'm like, oh, I could do this, and I could do this, and I could do this. So I want to try it all, and then undo and try something else and undo, and then I feel like I make less project process or pro. What am I saying? Progress. Yeah. Whereas if I'm just painting, I can, there's no going back. So I put something there, it's there, and I have to live with it and make it work. And when you're working traditionally, this is one of the things that I like about, like those collaboratory events I was talking about, we would have other people. Yeah. Right? So you would step back for a second and like think about your composition, Mm -hmm. and someone else would step in and do a different brushstroke. And it would just completely change the entire trajectory in a heartbeat. And then someone else would step in and 
you know, mm -hmm. throw a can of paint on the whole thing <laughs> and the entire thing changes again. And you'd have those moments. My favorite thing about working traditionally um, in fluid mediums is that a mistake, your brain iterates a million different directions. You could take it to the end mm -hmm. when you see that just in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And then someone else throws something in there. And when you're like sort of playing with other people, that is one of my favorite it's alive feelings yeah which that's it exactly it's just it just feels so alive it's the stuff of life and you there's this there's a danger of doing art as a job where you have to uh systematize everything and make sure that everything fits your quarterly report and everything mm -hmm. fits your convention schedule and everything fits your cash flow and one of the things that I think are important to do if you're going to do art as a job is to look for times where you still feel that sense of life. life. I love that, that expression, right? You just, you have to find things instead of seek them sometimes. I've got one that can see. Justin, you said you did watercolors in Paris. Do you guys do traditional work? Yeah, uh, usually in my uh, between times, I do a lot of traditional work. There's a ton. Well, you'll see later when we're uh, messing about in the storeroom, um, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of traditional paintings and a bunch of traditional work. I love working in collage. I love mm -hmm. um, doing traditional painting over that. And you can, I guess that's something I kind of want to get into. Like, how can you take a traditional piece of work and make it? digital how do you make that translation yeah it's uh, not just as hard as you time think, and yeah. practice that yeah. was like i i remember kind of like the the couple of months when i transitioned from like my digital stuff started competing with my tra traditional stuff and then started getting better than it mm. and it was like i'd been waiting for that <laughs> and working towards that and like i was starting to like what i was doing on the computer more than i was doing traditionally yeah it's amazing uh, that that was, I, had a I was yeah that was like a great turning point for me yeah it must mm -hmm. feel like so much freedom mm -hmm. well you know we were talking earlier about uh the architecture and this notion of precision mm -hmm. i think that that's where for me using digital tools even though my style is pretty rough um in my digital assemblies it gives it just like 20 percent more precision than it would have otherwise which pushes me into a threshold um that people can it has enough clarity to work as professional illustration right because style and clarity are separate elements that you can work on yeah right you can have a great style but it doesn't necessarily tell a story right and if you can work on clarity in your storytelling then even a messy style if it has enough clarity yeah can fill in it doesn't have to be photorealistic it doesn't have to be uh even cartoony it can just as long as there's enough clarity so that people say between this beat and this beat i understand what happened you can get somewhere and digital tools help me with that Mm -hmm. I said sure. it's self-realization. Um, my traditional stuff, I never get critiqued. I never have somebody looking over my watercolors, my traditional, because it's never used for anything other than what process, yeah, what I do with it. But all my digital stuff, like through graph design, and then when I worked, um, like it was always there was somebody at the end of it who would pick it apart and like, here's what you could do better here, here's what you could do better yeah, there. And I yeah. think that pushed my digital style. Whereas traditional, I was never told, like, you could do this better, you could do that better. It was always just for me. Mm. So maybe that's why the digital leveled up so much is because it was getting... We definitely have that in common, critiqued. yeah. ...critiqued. Hmm. Whoa. Whoa. So at the, it took us a whole <laughs> season of a podcast to figure out these truths about ourselves. But, um, you know, you were asking what we hope to gain by doing this. Um, 
you and I would sit, you know, across the studio and we'd have these conversations and I would say, oh man, I wish I had known that 10 years ago, or, oh, I wish I had thought of that 20 years ago. And I think that was a lot of the impetus behind starting the podcast is to say, let's have those conversations that we're having anyway. Um, and maybe someone will mm-hmm. say, oh, or sometimes you need to hear it the wrong way. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people who listen to how Justin and I are doing things who are traditional illustrators mm-hmm. who just cringe <laughs> at some of our choices. But that also is uh, that also is an important step. For sure. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I interrupted you. You were telling us about graphic design at Red River. You started okay. talking about your texture assignment, and I wanted to know the hows and whys of it <laughs> because of the way you uh, kind of lit up when you you just mentioned it briefly <laughs> and then moved on, but your whole body language changed, so I wanted to know <laughs> what was going on. Um, the texture assignment was just really fun. It was pretty open-ended. Our only requirement was that we needed to show contrast and balance of textures, So, and we had to make two pieces, so I made two. I kind of made them respond to each other in a certain way and I just really enjoyed it I was working with like sandpaper and tinfoil I like the way they look together cool I enjoyed it um and again I always found with our traditional projects that my I would do my thumbnails and then I would come up with a final that I was going to do but then as I was executing it it would always change and it would I would end up with something different and I always liked that better in the end anyway so I was just really happy with what I made for that project and I enjoyed working on it do you think that you would have pursued art as vehemently as you are now if you hadn't gone to school for it? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So why go to school for it at all? For I think that I think that school has been really valuable. Um, it's stressful for sure, but it gives you a sense. It's like practice in a way, and we are working, we have tons of deadlines, we have tons of projects to work on at a time, and it gives you a sense, okay, if I'm working and it's going well, then I will have tons of projects to work on, and I'm gonna have to practice this time management, and I'm gonna have to practice, you know, dealing with clients or our instructors in this case, and pleasing others to get the job done, but also finding the balance between doing something I enjoy. I think it's been super valuable in a practice kind of sense. Plus, we get to know people. Um, there's a community aspect to it. It's it's really nice. I wouldn't trade it. Wouldn't trade it? So are there people um, that you admire in years above yours? For sure. Yeah? And even, even in my year, for yeah? sure. Yeah? And you're following their work sort of outside of school? Mm-hmm. That was something I noticed. Like a, it's a pretty big range of skill set. Um, you know, there was, I was 17 when I started in first year, and there was people who were closer to 30 who had been, you know, drawing that entire time. So their skill set was, like, leagues, streets above mine, yeah. <laughs> streets ahead. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was very interesting, like, throughout uh, the three years, everybody kind of goes off in their own direction. Like, there was one guy who was, anything he did, he kind of had this street graffiti style to it, and mm-hmm. he somehow merge that with professional looking graphic design that was so cool to see you know yeah it's really nice to see everyone's different take on things everyone has a different style that comes out Mm -hmm. um there's so much variety and people come from all different kinds of walks of life so the former psych teacher in me uh understands the principle called cognitive dissonance 
which is the tendency to, for you to ignore anything that doesn't fit into your worldview. You just mm-hmm. don't listen to anything that doesn't fit into that. It, you're less likely to remember it or respond to it. And I think school's role is to introduce you to a lot of stuff that you might not want to do, right? That you would purposely avoid if you could. And then it makes you grow a little bit as a result. Definitely. The grit, right? The grit in the oyster <laughs> makes the pearl, hmm. not pearl making seminars with other oysters. <laughs> I stole that from Stephen King. But it's so true, right? Would uh, would you go back to school? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for that exact reason. Yeah. I feel myself sliding into certain patterns, like into, um, you know, like we're talking about being systemic, right? I know there's a way to accomplish certain tasks efficiently and professionally and be paid for them. Um, but as a result, those skills that got me to that realization atrophy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I want to grow a little bit as a result of that. I want to try some new things. Uh, I was going to say, so I've now that we're in a studio together, I have noticed when I was in a studio by myself, I had nobody at the end of things to kind of get feedback from. Mm-hmm. And I was consciously aware that I might that might start to, I might be slipping because I wasn't getting any feedback. I was just... Working in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked when I was at the game studio, I had like four people who could like pick it apart and they would always find stuff. But when you're by yourself, there's you yeah. there's nothing to find. And you ask for it fairly regularly. Yeah. Right? So have yeah. you found that as well? Since you've been working in here with, with us, have you been getting Definitely. positive feed, like good feedback versus... Yeah. Even the negative feedback is good feedback. It's mostly right? negative. Right? Being yeah. pushed into a new direction. Mm-hmm. Or a way to consider your own compositions or color theory or, um, you know, the constituent parts, right? To be move them around in a different way. And to have people, you know, to have all you people around who have different skill sets definitely makes that um, um, worthwhile. But the podcast has helped for that, too, because we've brought in all these people with all these different skill sets. And it's caused me to evaluate how I do things. You know, they give an answer. So mm-hmm. we'll ask them a question. They give us an answer, and then it's totally different to something I would have ever thought of. And then I find myself reevaluating my own work for the week after that podcast. Madeline, do you think you'll eventually be like a full? Do you think you want to move digitally? Like, do you think you want to take all your traditional stuff and it's going to become a digital style, or are you gonna? F- do you want to fight that? <laughs> I I'm torn. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a lot of benefit to digital and I think that's the way things are kind of working nowadays for the most part um I just so enjoy working traditionally that it would it's tough yeah just (laughs) you know figure out a way to do both I'd say yeah I would like to find a way to kind of work traditionally and then maybe take that onto a computer and kind of tweak it or something work over it or something to make it digital but keep that same kind of feeling Um, well um our season two guest that we're going to have cal barteski is uh someone who took very traditional brushwork and turned it into a digital phenomenon you know she just shared her traditional work so in so many ways digitally that that became the way that she could continue to do traditional work you know in a huge capacity uh corey j same thing yeah, right. Corey J is everywhere right now. Yeah, so 
Cal too. She just took over this. Her writings all over the street. Yeah, there's like two kilometers here. of her artwork down the street. Like she yeah. painted the entire bike lane. It's incredible. Almost oh, every yeah, Starbucks yeah. in the city has yeah. her stuff on the wall. She's hard to avoid. This rich cat, you know, some industrialist who wants them for the lobby of his company. He whipped out his checkbook right on the spot. I said, "Hey, you got him for the rest of your life." But what? I gotta let go the moment I give birth. I mean, come on. Give me some time to cut the umbilical, man. You want a life in the arts. I do. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Who do you surround yourself with? Um, that's a good question. Um, I surround myself with... I, I run in pretty small circles, I will say. Um, most of my friends are people I've known for years and years. And they're people I, I don't know, they're all over the map, but they're people I connect with on like a, a palpable level. Um, sometimes you just click with people and that's kind of how it goes. And I really trust that. Um, and I'm pretty like, I'm a pretty shy person. So when I meet people for the first time, I'm kind of like, I have a guard up. And some people just, there is none of that. And I think that's kind of magical. So that's kind of, I trust that everywhere I go in life. And uh, those are the people I surround myself with. And I've had no issues, you know. I don't ever experience people like, I don't really fall out with people. I don't really have drama in my life. Just wait. Welcome to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> the cutthroat art world. That's right. You know what? I have to say, uh, in full disclosure, I wasn't expecting as much to be witness to as much drama as there is in the art community that we found is ourselves that like in. Is that like convention circuit convention drama? Convention circuit oh, drama. So I amazing left, drama. You know, I left teaching, <laughs> which uh, anyone who knows a teacher knows that the world of teaching is filled with all kinds of interpersonal conflicts and dramas, uh, which people do their best to set aside for the sake of the children, right? You try <laughs> to show a united front, but really there is a... Uh, it's a broken front, really. On oh, the between the teachers. You between the teachers. Once oh, yeah. the children. staff room door closes. It's <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's battle royal. But once your classroom door closes, right, you are sort of master of your own domain, and you try to do your best by the students. Uh, and so I thought I would just sort of leave all that behind <laughs> as we went on the road in the grand circus of doing conventions. I thought, okay, well, I, don't, I will no longer have what I consider to be work friends, like work colleagues. And instead, I have more now. <laughs> because it's there's sort of 30% of people who are the same people at all the shows who are doing it on a regular basis mm -hmm. in Canada anyway who are making a living of it I would say are the same faces that we see our co-workers there yeah. are our co-workers now so we have these you know 40 hour 50 hour weekends with these co-workers in really stress high stress high stakes um <laughs> You're friends, but you're also like stealing sales from yeah, them. Yeah, you know, it's this whole thing. <laughs> uh, so is that where the drama comes from, like the and so sales? The, yeah, so the I try to I try to stay drama free, <laughs> um, and anyone who is really interested in just like complaining or like sniping other people or you know, angry that someone aped somebody's style or someone's color scheme or setup, or I'm just not interested in any of that. If someone asks us where we get our stuff printed, we just tell them. Like, it's not, you know, a high tide raises all boats we're trying to live by. But <laughs> as a result of that, there's, you know, some people take offense to just the fact that 
we take offense to people taking offense. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you need to steal yourself. So if you have people in your life who, right, as you say, uh, connect on a deep level, you'll need to return to them as often as possible to rejuvenate because the world is a <laughs> dark and full of terrors. Is that, have you found, am I mischaracterizing that? You've been doing this longer than I have, Justin. Um, I think artists kind of like musicians, a lot of them um, have pretty thin skin and uh, maybe, yeah, are not as, hmm, I want to say, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of artists don't, I don't want to be too mean here, but there's some missing social skills sometimes. She said go darker. Yeah. We're going to trust, so we're gonna trust Madeline here. Uh, like nobody in like the people that we hang out with, but we see a lot of stuff that reminds me of high school okay. like crap that I shake my head over. Um, yeah. Happens anywhere you go. Exactly. So how do you deal with that then? You just avoid it. But you can't always avoid it, right? We're, this is that cognitive dissonance. Or you don't, thing. Uh, you don't participate. Yeah, you try like not we to have a lot of, yeah, we have people come and they they vent to us about some pretty inane stuff, and we just kind of nod and go along with it. And I think at the end of the day, you want to um, consider that if you're comparing yourself to other people, mm -hmm. you will definitely get bitter. Mm -hmm. Right? That is just true. If you're always comparing yourself to others, a bitterness will sink in. A little bit of competitiveness will sink in. If you compare yourself to what you did yesterday, you can get better. You can say, how can I improve what I did? Got to chase that artwork. Right? You got to chase your own artwork. You mm -hmm. can't There be, it is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, there it is. Because um, when I came into the studio for the first time, Justin has, we have this wall of, you know, people who I came to realize were his work friends. Right, there were just these super talented art examples on the wall, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> right, are these the people that I have to compete with if I join this grand circus? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, no, you don't—you're not competing with anybody except your own capacity. So you two, who do you two surround yourselves with? Is it all—is everyone in your life an artist? No. Yeah, like my—I've got a close group of friends, nurses, and some guy who does something in marketing that he <laughs> keeps trying to explain, but nobody can follow. Um, I've got a... Uh, I hope he listens to the podcast. <laughs> never going to listen to this. Uh, my, like one of my best friends is a doctor of genetics who just got back from a three-year stint in Oxford, and now he's living on a farm raising chickens and pigs. I don't know if he listens to this either. Um, and my girlfriend's in law, so it's mm. very few artsy people like in my my local group, but then on the road, all we hang out with are the, the people who are doing this for a living, right? So like some of my best friends on the road are, yeah, we see them every weekend at every different city that we go to, like our traveling husbands and wives. That's right, yeah, <laughs> our work wives and husbands. We, uh, I'm um, from the ancient world, so I'm a lot older than Justin, like 10 years older, and in that extra 10 years, I have different layers. So I have, s in my own, estimation i have these circles of friends so i have friends that were my friends from high school um and they are kind of like what you're talking about people that you just kind of clicked with early um mm -hmm. but their interests are very different than my own and so it's nostalgia in a way that holds those friend groups together Still doing mm. that painting thing greg right yeah exactly <laughs> right it's the it's that nostalgia that holds it together and um 
a lot of them have become my regular gaming group. So we, uh, I've been designing a role-playing game for a number of years. And so oh, cool. we do playtesting for that. So they were my D&D group that turned into my playtesting group. Um, and they're an honest sort of, you know, they're happy to talk shit to me if they need to. Um, <laughs> need that. Yeah. But also I've got sort of a, um, you know, a business circle that I can talk to. I have a film circle that I talk to. I have an art world circle that I talk to. I have some uh, people who I consider to be, um, you know, quite... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I hold them in very high esteem, whether they know it or not, just mm -hmm. for how they find balance in their lives. Um, and I've tried lately, in the last few years, to balance my day in the following way. S between someone who I see as a peer, someone who I see as a uh, someone I can mentor, and someone who is my mentor. I try to have a touchstone moment, even if it's just a text or an email, but I try to touch uh, someone in all of those areas every day and it has helped uh find some balance because your ego can run away with you when you're doing this job yeah i bet right the like, internet's great for that though there's you know there's always someone to tell <laughs> you you're spend terrible like five <laughs> minutes on pinterest or instagram you find like a hundred people who are way better than you are at what yeah. you do yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah for sure or making <laughs> comments that you're terrible yeah even yeah for every <laughs> and it's interesting because for every you know, you, you have to deal with this, Justin. I'm just new to it now on account of this new graphic novel project. But you, know, you have a thousand people, literally a thousand people say something nice about a piece you posted. And only two people say something crappy. And those are the only two you can remember. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, and that's just part of the human condition. So yeah. you need to. But if you have, I feel like if you have someone that you're sharing some information with, someone that you can compare yourself to and someone that you're asking help from then it mitigates that that idea that you should somehow be above criticism you're not <laughs> we're never above criticism right yeah no. i think uh like the online criticism got really tempered when i started doing shows and i was getting criticism from people in person and right. that was you know 10 times more potent than any comment online is when somebody's standing in front of you saying something positive or something negative or something like criticizing um, so I think like the online stuff just kind of got, um, just canceled out by all the in-person stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I think when you're selling baby metal to people in person, um, and the reactions people get from reading it good or bad, that's kind of, it's going to outweigh anything online. This quite inappropriately attempts to juxtapose the disparate cubistic styles of Picasso and Leger. In addition, the use of color suggests a haphazard melange of clashing styles. Furthermore, the unsettling overtones of proto-Vulcan influences. Thank you, Mr. Data. So yeah, the podcast is coming to an, uh, a break for a couple months. When do we start back up? Is, oh, do we that's have a, a good question. We're going to start back up in September. September, we're going to start back up. So for the summer, man, it's going to be a pretty busy summer. Yeah, Greg, you're about to take off on a family vacation. Yeah, family vacation. I'm going to also write a short story while I'm away on family oh. vacation. When Any idea what it's about, or are you just going to... Uh, yes. Well, yeah. my plan is to leverage some of that downtime, where I usually do a lot of thinking, and be away from the keyboard, to long hand out the next story in our um, Once oh. Lands saga that... Shared uh, Worlds. Yeah, the Shared World collection that James and I are working on. But if my brain goes in a completely different direction... So be it. I just know I'm going to write about 5,000 words while I'm away on vacation, um, whatever they may be. 
And then when I come back, I have about two weeks, two and a half weeks to finish all the principal illustration for Baby Metal. It's um, going to be a busy two weeks when you get back. It'll be a very busy two weeks. I've been doing a ton of layout and asset building um, just through the nights. Like I've Getting that toolkit ready to really pump those pages out. Yeah, now. so what I'm looking forward to is this is the first time ever that I've had a big break um, between building the assets and then thinking about how best to use them before I finish off a project. Often I'm just go, 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 go till it's finished. And so I've worked in this little sort of step. So it'll either completely derail me and the, it'll mm -hmm. be ruined <laughs> because I won't be able to find my stride again or I will uh, be renewed. So that's good. And then I'm going to paint a whole bunch of textures and a whole bunch of uh, analog elements uh, while I'm away. There's nothing better than sunshine, like hot sun to do watercolors with. I love doing watercolor textures because it dries instantly and I'm super impatient. So uh, I'm going to gather a bunch of that stuff and smash it all together into the book. <laughs> Listen to a lot of music, play with my kids a ton, um, get a sunburn or two. That's my plan. Um, and then maybe shoot a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We got some new information. Um, things that we're allowed to talk about is basically, dear listener, when you try to make a movie, it's really important to sell that movie first to a distributor. So mm. you take the treatment to the distributor, you show it to the distributor, they say, yes, if this existed, we could probably sell it to these markets for this much money. Then you reverse engineer that to figure out what the budget to create the film should be. So we're at that stage right now. So I may spend all of August working on a uh, independent horror feature. Uh, and if not, we're gonna shoot two short films anyway. So, cool. yeah. So that's what I'm doing for the summer. So that's why we're not going to do podcast episodes. <laughs> How about yourself? You're off to. I, uh, I go to Montreal to see um, uh, Catherine and I have a favorite uh, composer. I'm going to butcher his name. It's Ludovica. It starts with an E. It's, he's European. Um, he does. Uh, <laughs> the E stands for European. E that? <laughs> yeah, Ludovica European. Um, he's a. Uh, <laughs> He kind of does like soundtrack music and it's the only music we can both agree to work with. So I like oh. music when I'm painting. She can't really have music while she's studying except for this one composer. And he only comes to North America for like one part of his tour. And for four years, we've been trying to catch him and it actually worked out this year. So I'm going to Montreal to see him and it's the same time as the Comic-Con. So I'm doing the Montreal Comic-Con. And when I get back, I'm prepping for the San Diego Comic-Con. I finally got in. After six years of trying, <laughs> I got a booth. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then when I get back, um, my next art book goes to print right away. And uh, I'm going to... Hold on. To let's be informative for yeah. the dear listener. Y San Diego Comic-Con is not an easy thing to get into if you it haven't not, been in before. Because the grandfathering in system is such that once you get a table, if you want to come next year, you save like 30% of your table cost if you re-up that year. Mm. So nobody ever gives their table up because you save so much money to keep it. Um, so there's very, very few spots available and there's a waiting list that's like miles long. Um, so as but somebody trying to get in to get a booth, not an artist alley table, but a big booth, it's, it's been very, very trying. But from my side of the studio, I've watched you have steady correspondence with the people running that show so that when the opportunity came up for a booth last minute, they knew that you were someone that maybe yeah, could take it over. Yeah, that's something we, uh, I, I've only really realized this last, well, since hanging out with you, Greg, if you, bug, if you can't get into a show, 
just stay on that person's radar and keep asking if you can get a table. Is there any openings? Yeah. Did somebody cancel? Just keep bugging them. Like, be annoying. <laughs> There's a good chance. Well, okay. I don't think annoying be, is like, Be don't charming be and persistent. Yeah, no stalker vibes. <laughs> but if once every, like, if it's a show you're trying to get into, if once every four months you give them a call and you remind them, right? That's four calls in a year for a show that yeah. happens once a year is not stalker level but annoyance. It shows that you're serious and that your check is good, right? And it's uh, it's pretty every every big show we go to um, without fail there are empty tables because things happen and people can't show yeah. up they have to bail last minute maybe they bailed a couple weeks before and just nobody was bugging them to get that table it's, yeah life um, happens and I see over here in the corner of the studio you have all your suitcases packed and ready to go um, when you have your stuff together we've heard stories of people getting into shows last minute by just always having that set up mm -hmm. ready. And then they call a show last second and say, did anyone cancel? Right. I'm ready to go. Like, I'm literally here. It's in my car. Can I take it over? Yeah. So, so be, if you can't get into that show, just kind of be persistent. Keep on that person's radar and your chances increase tenfold. Yeah. yeah. You can't be angry when they say no, no, but be as persistent as you can. So, and you're going to finish a book. I'm going to finish the art book and I'm going to get started on uh, Dragon Nannies. Our next publication comes out in November. I've got uh, a lot of a lot of the elements are starting to come together. I'm really, really excited to get started on that, but I basically need to get San Diego behind me before uh, I put any brain power into that one. Uh, then I can start panicking. Um, we also have a, uh, a big show coming up at the beginning of September. It's one of our biggest of the year. Uh, the Toronto Fan, Fan Expo, Expo is Canada's biggest show. It's 100... 40,000, it's, it's up there with the New York and San Diego Comic-Con as far as scope and size and attendance, and that's always something I really try to put a lot of effort into my presence there, so I've got a lot of space and a lot of people coming with me, and yeah, so a lot of planning into that. And I'm also going to Lollapalooza in Chicago, so I'm going to a music festival somewhere in there. No big deal. No big deal. Uh, meanwhile, poor Madeline will be here <laughs> at the studio. <laughs> <laughs> working through our list of things to do <laughs> but you've got some other things planned this summer do you not um i too am going to montreal oh just for fun um that's like more or less it that's what i'm looking forward to you have some paintings on the go though i do have some paintings on the go i'm working on a few different things um, my boyfriend and I are working on a choose-your-own-adventure book called big city little kitty come on it's coming along um yeah, I've been doing pet portraits for people. I really love that. And it's just nice working at chapters still on the weekends. Um, it's been a good summer so far. So just more of the same. Amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of season one of Super Pulp Science. I hope, dear listener, that you have um, had as much fun as we have. And if you hadn't, then our condolences. Um, Sambika would like to remind you that you will all be dead soon. Um, so <laughs> keep working. And uh, we will see you in September for season two of Super Pulp Science. I feel like we should leave it on a cliffhanger. A cliffhanger. Some kind of... Where Someone you will find out what happened with Justin's surgery. <laughs> <laughs>